Clemson Dubcast. Recording this on Wednesday, January 4th at TigerIllustrated.com. We are in the midst of an in-depth series examining the backgrounds uh, of Christopher Brezina, the incoming freshman quarterback, and also Cade Klubnick. Always so much to learn about these guys' personalities, about their backgrounds, about what makes them tick when you go back and talk to a bunch of people in their inner circle, and that is what we did. If you are a subscriber to TigerIllustrated.com, hope you're enjoying. If you're not, sign up right now. Great stuff ongoing uh, through Friday. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, there is a lot to talk about about Clemson football in the wake of the Orange Bowl loss, a lot to talk about just college football in general. Where does Clemson stand right now? Can they get back to being elite? Is it fair to say changes need to be made uh, on Debo Sweeney's staff? A lot of big picture stuff and a great person to talk to, my friend Mickey Plyler. Always enjoy conversations with him and hope you do too. Here we go. All right, joined by Mickey Plyler, my good friend. The voice of, voice of what? Voice of reason? Voice of... Oh, no, not even close. Not even close, man. Uh, voice of the old the old guy. Get off my lawn, guy? You know, one thing I've been I've been really, we might get this later, depending on how much time we have, but um, I have really, I'd like to be the voice of the fan. So I say this all the time, like, on these decisions about NIL and the decisions about transfer portal and like who's looking out for the average fan because I think we talked about it last time we make these decisions for what's best for the player or the coach or whatever but but who's looking out for the fan and I complained about college basketball for years you know because like in the old days Larry when Phil Ford was here in North Carolina and he played North Carolina twice a year boy you're a season ticket holder at Clemson. You got to see Phil Ford four times, and you knew who Phil Ford was. He was from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and you knew who Al Wood was or Christian Leitner was, and you saw him for four years. 
And now, if you don't watch the McDonald's All-American game, you don't know who plays college basketball for the top teams anymore. And so I think it's hard on the fans. Well, football's got that way now. Like, who plays for who and who's transferred to who? And how do you build programs? How do you? Why, how can you buy a jersey of, a, of somebody? Like, somebody bought a Kyrie Irving Duke basketball jersey, and he played, like, four games. But, like, who's the voice for the fan to go, we're not doing what's best for the overall the game? And you might argue that's all this is good for the game. I don't know who would agree with you, but I certainly wouldn't. But, like, so maybe the voice of the fan. I'll do that. How about that? You know, it's interesting. Um, I guess about three weeks ago when, you know, all the opt-outs were happening – I'll t- I'll say the Notre Dame, South Carolina game. You know, I got some friends who are Gamecock fans who are like, oh, you know, this is this is crazy. You know, this ordinarily this would be a reward for a good season, and and there'd be meaning in the game, and it'd be a great matchup. But you got key players for both teams opting out, and so there's not as much. It's not as captivating, you know. Well, lo and behold, Mickey, you turn on the game and it's a full stadium. Yeah. It's a great game. Yeah. And you had fans of both teams living and dying on every play. And afterward, even I think even the my Gamecock friends of mine are like, wow, that was just an amazing game and we're proud of our team, blah, 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 blah. And so there's – I don't know. I'm well, – I think people love the sport so much that – that um. That it, I don't know. I, yes, yes, I, I agree with you. People are we're in this phase right now where fans are like, "What in the heck is going on?" Well, to your point, and let me let me just strengthen that or weaken it, maybe. All right, so it might make the point that we need minor league football because no matter if you put a tiger paw or a gamecock logo or a or a spear or a G or a U on the helmet, we're going to pull for those and we don't really care. And in fact, as long as they play hard and as long as they you know, play fairly well, we don't really care. But I mean, on the other side of it, there is no way you can tell me that that game wouldn't have been as good or fun to watch without if Merritt and Foskey and Cam Smith and Zach Pickens and, you know, all the other opt-outs would have played in it. I mean, I think it's safe to say it would have been a better game. Maybe not as close a game, maybe. I don't know. But if I'm going to buy a ticket to a football game to watch Notre Dame play football, I'd rather watch Foskey and Meyer play. Or Mayer. Was, I'd rather watch them play. And if I watch South Carolina play, I'd rather, you know, watch you know Cam Smith play than not play. So maybe we make the case that, all right, let's, get, let's, let's let them have minor league football. And let them play in the Birmingham Legion Field and uh, the old, you know, other stadiums in Orlando. What might, but Clemson and South Carolina and Georgia and Florida State, we'll just have students play and we'll all pull for them like it's, we'll pretend like it's really good football. I don't know. But, I mean, so you're, would you agree with me that the game would have been more compelling to have the best players from both teams still playing? Absolutely. But I, what I'm saying is. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I was almost I was almost surprised that I was captivated by it, you know? Like yes, yes. because going in it's like, okay, you're checking off a list of the guys that are out. And it's like, what how good can it be? You know? And then you see this back and forth game, you see a full stadium. I mean, even, you know, I think it's fair to say the bowls are getting are getting crushed by opt-outs yeah. as opposed to 
the course of an entire regular season when you have you know you have time to adjust to whoever your additions are and and defections are you have the entire off season you know to to develop familiarity with the headliners right going into yes. a season and yes. and and to develop an attachment for them bowl games of course different story but still I mean, there were some really good games, Mickey, and, and and even you know Tennessee, Clemson. Like going in, it's like even even though all these guys are missing, it's like this is a pretty dang good matchup. It's I mean, it's not the idea the ideal, of course, but I'm starting to wonder all the hand wringing, which I'm doing too, over the opt outs and what are we even doing? Well, people are still watching. They're even still going to the games, you know. Um, yeah, the, the television ratings strengthen your argument because I think that we had really high ratings across the board for the bowl games. And so it, it does go to show you that no matter, I would say no matter who plays, but I mean, even the lower tier bowl games, you, the last two or three years, I think I'm right by saying this, I think the research indicates this, that they're, the, the viewing is pretty good. And even when attendance weren't at some of those, but still the, the TV numbers are pretty good. So, again, I, I think that in one way, you're right. Who cares about the opt-outs or not? I get that. But another way, it goes to show you that that's how much we love college football and that if you and me were out there putting on the helmet and if as long as my team colors, my team logo, and still got the band and the Chief Osceolas and the Uggas of the world, we're still going to go pull for no matter what. So, yeah, I, I did. I did. I, had, I did have to laugh when the sideline reporter for the Gator Bowl is interviewing Michael Mayer and Foskey. Yeah. I think it's a, a woman. She says, "Yes." And they they told me they wouldn't have missed this for the world. <laughs> no, yeah, you did. <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> well, I loved. I know you saw what Saban said. And I, I love the fact that Bryce Young and Anderson and and the rest of those guys played. Because that's what amazes me. You know, you talk to NFL scouts, you talk to college coaches, and what they'll tell you is that the, what they're looking for is game film and practice and go out and see these guys play it. The, it is such a joke to say that I'm opting out to prepare for the NFL draft, which is in April. Like, man, if you really want to do it and save and hit the nail on the head, then go improve your stock by playing in a football game in a big-time atmosphere and show me you can prepare and show me you can be disciplined in your assignments and show me your athleticism on the field. So I I love that that he spoke out for that. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody takes, uh, you know, takes his word in the future. Who knows? Yeah, there are a couple of – there's that sort of tide that that we're fighting against of, oh, yeah, go ahead, opt out. You know, look out for your – you know protect yourself and you can get hurt and this and that. And then there's also the tide of, of, um, Oh, any bowl game, any, any games outside the playoff are meaningless. Nobody cares. We need to have more playoff games to give, um, get people excited, uh, fans, players, all that stuff. I'm sorry. I, I watched the, I watched the Rose bowl a year ago, totally captivating game between Ohio state and, and and Utah, I watched the Rose Bowl last night. Another captivating game between Penn State and Utah. Those teams, those fans cared. <laughs> well, the fans did for sure. <laughs> those yeah. players cared. I mean, yeah, the players did for sure. Absolutely. So I just don't. I never. I can buy some arguments in favor of 
of expanding the playoff, but there are lots of arguments that just seem bunk to me. Yeah, and I see you tweet about it, and I, I tend to agree with you 90% of the time on all of that. Um, you know, what, what about the playoff, the playoff expansion, you know, we spend, we almost try to retrofit, that's not the right word I would say, but we, we try to find the solution, then back up with it, with, you know, strengthen our arguments that way. So, in the end, what, what, what Hancock told us forever was that, we only the regular season decides it and we need two teams and the best way to go about this is or no forever we were told what's wrong with with split national championships and the ap and the upi will will decide it that way the coaches poll and the media poll and that's the best way because the red means regular season and then we fell for it because they said well no the best ways with two teams and the bcs and we've got these very powerful all-knowing computers that will tell us which two teams and then they said well no 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 it's four teams and that's the best way and all it is is money man now it's going to be i don't understand 12 i don't understand 68 in basketball like 64 is a number i'd be more in favor of 32 because 64 is not going to win but anyway so in other words we're just going to keep adding and adding and adding but they're going to convince us with this very compelling argument that no this is the only way to do this and eventually it'll be 16 or 32 and they'll keep every time we keep falling for it that oh this is the only way this is the best way and it's the same people telling you it's a lot like politics right like the same people telling you something totally different but explaining to you this is the only way to do this but it's all about the money we know that for sure yeah and that's the you know they're going to do it because yes. there's money, and I, I, I get that argument. Just, just be honest about it. <clears throat> We're not going to be honest. That's, that's the thing. Is it, remember the argument of all oh, the regular season? It takes away from the regular season, and then when you got four, now it's going to be twelve. Well, what's that going to do? You know, for me, I still love the regular season. I still love it when you know to watch Florida and Tennessee play, and to watch. And, and if anything, that might be even more for the regular season. You can make that argument that you know a big win. You could be nine and three, but a big win might really propel you to a playoff spot so but we do love to retrofit those arguments don't we and, uh, yeah like i when when they when they instituted the playoff the goal the stated goal was to identify the best team in the country it wasn't i never heard anybody say all right now these semifinals better entertain us yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and, and they have not right correct now saturday they did but up until saturday you were guaranteed at least one blowout and more times than not we never got two compelling games in the, in, in the previous seven or eight years but saturday was obviously a different story right and you know the the, the fact that that you had a trend of blowouts in the in the semifinals. To me, that's not a that's not a reason to change the system. I mean, if anything, you could go to back to two. You could make a better argument for that. Yeah, oh, you, I, I could make an argument for a lot of things, including that. But you know, one and I know we're going to talk about Clemson in a second too. But it just goes to show you, though, Larry, like people are so married to a concept or an argument and that they will fight you to the death on it that this is the only way to do this and this is I know this is the only way and then you can show them empirical evidence oh no no how about this well that doesn't matter with my argument you know my argument I'm not even consider that part of it you know um and I know we'll do it we'll talk about I won't talk about that with Clemson in a second too but you know there's more than one way to do it and and maybe 
maybe four is right, maybe six is right, maybe eight is right, maybe twelve is right. Or maybe maybe none of it is is one way. Maybe we'll just try to find the best way or at that time, and maybe we'll it'll be a fluid situation, and we can go up to sixteen one year, and then we'll eventually thirty two, whatever it might be. Um, when I was a kid, I think I might be saying this: the NCAA basketball tournament was twenty four teams. I think that's how old I am. Is that old or what? Like. <laughs> 2014. I remember the 1974 ACC championship game because NC State Maryland played in football this year in the bowl game. I said, this feels like David Thompson and Rick Burleson against Lynn Elmore and Lefty Giselle, you know? But the only way to get those, that was number one and number two in the country. And they played in the ACC tournament and only one team got to go to the NCAA tournament. Now, in hindsight, was that right? Was that the right way to do it? In 74, we were convinced that's the only way to do it. And, and I got to tell you, the ACC basketball tournament was an absolute bloodbath as a result. And, and you couldn't find a ticket. Well, now we go to 64, 68, and you've been to the ACC basketball tournament where nobody cares. Nobody goes. And what does it matter anymore? So, you know, but we were convinced, right? We were convinced it's the only way to do it. 24 is the only number. And this is by far the best way. And now we're doing the same thing with 68. So, I wrote, I think, two years ago. Uh, maybe I guess three years ago, as Clemson was, you know, going into California and capitalizing on the national championship and snagging DJ Uyunglele and Joseph Ngata, and I wrote that you know, looking ahead to the 2022 national championship, which was in LA, uh, which is in LA, of course, it wasn't crazy to think that you could have. California heavily represented with the quarterbacks in terms of um, Bryce Young from you know from California, JT Daniels who was at Georgia at the time you know from California, yes. CJ Stroud from California then of course DJ. But in also in that writing, I wrote that you know Clemson was capitalizing. Clemson and others were capitalizing on the failures of Southern Cal and the California uh, programs. And I was writing that the, the, the big push to expand the playoff was, was based largely on, oh, people in other areas of the country need to be, you know, captivated and, and they don't have any reason to watch when it's all just Southeast dominating teams. And my answer to that is, or was, and still is, as opposed to, making drastic changes to the system and, and, and um, sort of endangering the regular season or what we're used to being the regular season. Maybe it's just the fault of maybe these traditional powers need to get off their asses and start winning. Yeah. And, you know, lo and behold, we have Southern Cal uh, come within a whisker of, of making the playoff. We have Oregon rebounding. Um you know, Florida State is 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 on, on a comeback. You've had Michigan land in the playoff back to back years. Uh, that the stuff kind of sorts itself out to me. Uh, if that is the reason that you're altering a system, I don't think it's a very good reason. Do you agree? Just to people need to be interested or more interested, yeah, I guess. Well, well, to that point, because I agree with you. Um, or. Would you say that when Alabama and Georgia play that you're going to watch the playoff, but now that it's TCU and Georgia, you're not going to watch it? Like, <laughs> I'll, call me crazy, but if it was Hawaii 
and Utah State in the national championship game Monday night, I'm going to watch it. Now, maybe not everybody, and, and you know we'll never find out what those numbers might look like, but I, I'm going to be more inclined to watch it because it's two powerhouses or two traditional or two blue bloods. I'm going to watch it because it's the national championship in football. Um, now, maybe, again, maybe others might feel differently about that. But no, we, we there's all kinds of arguments out there. Um, oh, here's, here's something interesting. If Ohio State would have won, you know, made the field goal, and it had been Ohio State and TCU, then what some people would say is, all over Twitter today or whatever day is, well, there you go, conference championships don't matter at all. All right? Yeah. Because neither would have won a conference championship. So so Georgia's going to win, and, and they're going to say, well, conference championships obviously matter. You know? So <laughs> we just we love to, like I said, I don't know if the retro bit's the right way, but we, we get to an end, and then we try to justify our, our Stances as a result of that, and I just don't know. I don't. I, I'm fascinated by TCU and by Sonny Dykes, who was not really a college football player. He was on the team. He never lettered in football. He was he was a three time baseball letterman, and he's going to be coaching a game for the national championship. I guess the guy who was a pretty good player, but not a great player, at a, at a blue blood, and it's a that's a very compelling matchup to me, and I think interesting matchup. I I said on my show last week that I was convinced that TCU had the least amount of I don't think they're the most talented team of the final four but I said they had the least question marks and the least places you could exploit I thought they were the most balanced team offensively and defensively and I thought they had um, I thought they had a very good chance to play with Michigan and it turned out it was the game was different than I thought it was going to be because there's so many big plays and so many huge momentum plays but but that and I go back to Pat McAfee's thought about how TCU was so big and so physical that Man, he was shocked by that. So, I'm not surprised TC beat Michigan. Um, and, and you know, and but the point is, yeah, I'm going to watch it because it's TC and, and Georgia in the national championship. But you know, some people thought that all oh, these all these powerhouses have to come back. You're right. It's better now. Southern Cal is. I, I don't buy this though. Like, I don't buy well, well the game's just better if Southern Cal's better or if Miami's better or Florida State's better. To be honest with you, whoever's better that year, there's enough compelling stories with those teams, and they're fun enough to watch those teams. I'm going to watch it. And when Michigan State and and Pittsburgh win the ACC and the Big Ten or whatever, that's kind of compelling to me. I'm kind of going to watch those games to me. It didn't have to be Florida State and Clemson. It didn't have to be Michigan and Ohio State. You know, when Purdue, if they had Purdue upset Ohio State, that's a pretty compelling story to me. But but I'm a college football fan, I guess. Why is why don't we view the entire season as a playoff as a 128 130 team playoff because that is basically what the regular season is it is a brutal unforgiving playoff essentially we know when tennessee loses its second game gets throttled in columbia they are done there's finality there it's over we know when clemson loses at home to south carolina it's over like, there's a beauty in that sort of ruthless um, finality. Why Why are we so preoccupied with how many teams in the postseason when really the regular season is a playoff? Am I, am I crazy? Yes, except for a couple of things. That Alabama still came pretty stinking close to getting in with two losses. So, yes, for, for almost every team out there, the second loss is your death sentence. Well, first of all, you go back. Like, every October, 
when you got eight undefeated teams, everybody figures it out. Oh, six of these teams are going undefeated. What do you do? I'm like, well, no, <laughs> no, man, that's not going to happen. It never does. It never will. The season's too long. There's too many injuries. And there's way too much going on. But to your point, yes, except for a couple of teams that just get more mulligans than everybody else. And that's Alabama could almost snuck in there, you know? Um, so, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it is, it, you're, for the most part, for most teams out there. I mean, even when Oregon lost, got crushed, they got embarrassed by Georgia. Had, had Oregon won out, they'd have been in. Remember when Clemson got destroyed by Georgia last year? I said, maybe on, on this format with you, I was like, to me, the big story is which team improves enough to make the college football playoff. And Clemson obviously did not, and Georgia obviously did. But, I mean, Oregon was still in there uh, until they lost there at the end. So was Southern Cal, so was all these teams in there. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it definitely makes for a compelling regular season. Now, does that, does that diminish for 12 teams? Well, now it might be a third loss rather than a second loss. But, but still, the regular season means something, right? It does, but but the, by the time late November gets here in the current format, the teams that are hanging around eight to fourteen, yeah, I've seen enough of them, dude. Yeah, <laughs> their yes. their flaws have been exposed, and they're not worthy. And I just don't I don't want to see them anymore. Uh, I don't know, uh, except with maybe a. So you don't like twelve teams? No, I, I think six. I could I could possibly buy six, but again, I don't. Why do you think we're going twelve? Money. But but, but and specifically, it's it's uh, SEC. I mean, to me, one of the biggest stories that we'll find out um, in the in the conspiracy theories. Is that A and M? Not A and M. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas would not have come to the SEC if they thought if they weren't told by the SEC that we're going to spend the same twelve. Because the one thing that Notre Dame wants, we, we can talk about independency all we want, and, and, and independency to Notre Dame is paramount. But the single biggest factor for Notre Dame is they want playoff access. And there's no way you can tell me that Oklahoma and Texas, with only four spots, would have left the Big 12 to come to the SEC. So they, they and I, I would bet you, Larry, any amount of money that if we could prove it somehow, somewhere, and hopefully we'll find out the truth one day, is that they were, they were assured that we're going to have more playoff access in the SEC. And they'll get more mulligans now. You know that. And, and maybe deservedly so. It's the best league. I get that. Especially them coming over, even though they haven't been very good in, recent, in the past year. But there's no way you can tell me that it stays four and they're going to go, all right, we have less access to the playoffs, but yeah, let's sign up for that, go to the almighty SEC. There's no way you convince me that they, they didn't know it's going to be eight or 12. The If we go to 12, or if we, if we were at 12 this year, Clemson would have – Gotten a buy based on conference championship? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of lame. <laughs> I mean, right? In my opinion, well, all those teams, I mean, 
Um, and you would have had less opt-outs in there, but but those teams didn't deserve. They're not. Those are not playoff teams. Like I'd seen enough of those teams. People across the country had seen enough of Clemson to know that they're not going to win the national championship. You know, it was one way of thinking about it. The South Carolina did Clemson a little bit of a favor in A. They got Kate Klubnick in their game early, but B saved Clemson a, a lashing at the hands of Georgia because Georgia would have destroyed Clemson, right? I mean, that's pretty easy to see from my from my vantage point. So, but I. I you're going to get teams that are – we're going to have nine and three. We're going to have a, eventually have an eight and four SEC team get in. But we're going to have nine and three Big 12, Pac-12, ACC teams get in the college playoffs at nine and three. And, and teams, Larry, that, that really hadn't beaten anybody. You might have a, a 10 and two team that, that lost to the only two real opponents you played and beat, beat nine tomato cans or 10 tomato cans. They're going to get in the college playoffs. So one of the interesting things to me about the 12-team playoff is, now what do you do? Do you schedule up knowing that you have more more mulligans in case you do lose? Or do you schedule down and just go, man, we'll just cruise through this thing. We'll beat ourselves up and we'll be fresh for the playoffs and, and we'll go undefeated, you know? What do you do? And I think I think you'll see some teams do, you know, either. I think you can see there are two different um, approaches there. Yeah, and yeah, then there's the whole. I, and I mean, coaches are going to love it. I mean, I think Dabo would will love it because he's going to be able to say, "Ah, oh, we got in the playoff." <laughs> but it doesn't mean. I mean, four team is just such a prized and exalted thing. When you see that emblem, you know those those. Uh, what are they? The football the. The, the playoff footballs or whatever they have on the stadium on the yeah. face of this. I mean, that's you look at that and you're like, man, that is yeah. special. It's like a final four. Yeah. It's like going to the NCAA tournament or going to the final four in college basketball. Like it means something to the final four. You earn your way at the final four. hundred percent. Totally agree. I just wish that, and now I'm talking, I'm not talking about the power, the people in power who are doing this. I'm talking about the, mainly the national conversation with the media and all that in their the the eagerness they have to to say man see we can, every march madness in in march and april is like see college football could have this you know this drama and the cinderella stories and the teams getting hot and all that brackets and i'm like where are you guys from september from august to november when there is just chaos and just bonkers results seemingly every weekend yeah. and college basketball could have that <laughs> college basketball wants that Mickey like uh, because nobody cares about the regular season college basketball let me ask you this it's January when we're recording this now it's January the 3rd how many college basketball games have you sat down and watched all 40 minutes of just Clemson's, and that goes back <laughs> and that's years. You cover it, and you have to cover it. Yeah, I want to keep. I want to keep track of how they're doing. But right. if, if you weren't covering Clemson basketball right now, you can say that I've not sat down and watched a full forty-minute basketball game all year. And they started in October, basically. I mean, first of November. I'm in the middle of November now. It's like, it's like eight weeks ago they started. You know, it's like, and you haven't watched a single full game yet outside of Clemson. No. So. It's crazy. It's, that's absolutely crazy to me. But why would you? You know, 
all you got to do is watch the last half of the season and then kind of know what to, what to expect there. All right, let's talk Orange Bowl. Well, I guess y'all were um, – WCCP was – y'all were off on Monday? Yes. So they gave us a 24-hour reprieve on a pardon. Um, <laughs> a stay from, of ex- – a stay? Yeah, they, yeah, a stay for 24 <laughs> hours now. So, you know, this. Well, I, I said this after the Notre Dame loss, and I figured it out, and I forgot what it was. It was in 24 years, I think I had done – 82 shows following a Clemson loss, which is pretty good, right? <laughs> Over that amount of time. So, but all, now I would say of those 82, about 70 to 75 of them were the same show. There were some in there, like the, the Alabama loss in Arizona. You had some folks saying that we gained a lot from that and that, that Clemson was – uh, played good and we're proud of them and all that kind of stuff. You see that every every once in a while. But the other seventy was we're going to fire everybody and this the quarterback stinks and um, the coordinator the play calling is terrible. We're going to fire the coaches and all that. So we're pretty lucky. But no, we did not have a show on Monday. But this this morning, this Tuesday morning, was exactly what I thought we were going to get. Okay. What? Uh, oh, oh, what? <laughs> um, Streeter has got to go. Um, that it's still DJ's fault because Cade wasn't ready because he played DJ way too long. That Dabo has hired all of his best friends and that um, every roommate he ever knew, any person he ever knew in the state of Alabama that they've, they've hired there. And that um, um, because of, of uh, Ashley Spires works for Dabo and because of uh, Bill's other daughter's going to marry Drew, then then he's got his position because of that and that um, the days of elite are over and they'll never go back and that Clemson won't win the ACC. Florida State obviously uses the portal. Clemson does it, so Clemson will never win the ACC again under Dabo. And that it's pretty much, this is the end. There's never, no one's ever going to have any kind of football success around Clemson now. And, and your, your response? <laughs> Well, I, I, now let me say this, to be fair, on, on a very serious note. Some of the criticism, I think, is probably, I know a lot of it is fair, but being fair and being right are two different things. And some of it will eventually prove out to be right. I, I listen to Jordan Peterson all the time, who is, I don't talk about this on the show, he is a clinical psychologist, he's a Canadian guy who's brilliant. I listened to him the other day, and he goes, because we win an argument does not mean that we're right. It means we, we argue better. <laughs> and you can, you can be on the wrong side of something and argue it right. I think that it's, it's anecdotal is probably not the right word either, but that one thing, here's what gets me. I, to say, we talked about this before, to say that I have no problem with anybody saying, and Clemson has slipped from the elite. I agree with that. Um, Clemson needs to be able to run the ball more effectively. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Clemson needs to develop toughness. Their, their wide receivers have fallen. I agree with all that. Now, why? So I see the symptoms. But, Larry, because I'm not in that building every day, and even if I was, I'm probably not qualified to know, I think it's very complicated. And whatever issues you have at every, any program are very complicated. Because I went on Georgia's message board. I talked about this on my show today. I went on Georgia's message board in the third quarter, and honest to goodness, this is no joke. No, and I went back and read some of them again today. Kirby's lost his edge. 
Munkin has lost his imagination. Keely Ringo can't cover anybody. And one, one, uh, so there were several threads on sets of Bennett in the third quarter, but it was um, one guy says, I'm so ready to get to that bum. He's a loser. And maybe now Kirby <laughs> can go get a difference maker, generational quarterback to lead us to the, the promised land. And so obviously that guy was wrong. And they came back and won. But I go to Ryan to Ohio State, so now Ryan Day's the one, and that Jim Harbaugh can't win the big one on Michigan's board. And that, I mean, so we see it. And so it's not a Clemson thing, it's a fan thing that I'm not qualified to know. I see some things that are wrong. Let's use Clemson wide receivers as an example. For the folks that texted in this morning and that are on Tiger Illustrated, I think it's pretty clear Clemson is, does not, is not wide receiver you right now. What I don't know is, is that because A, Jeff Scott misevaluated Ngata, Ladson, Ajoa Joe, B, that those guys weren't healthy, or C, that Tyler Grisham didn't develop them? I don't know that because A, they weren't healthy the whole time while they were here. But also, like, I'm not around them every day, and so... It, it's obvious that, that the symptom is the wide receiver plays isn't as good as it used to be. But the cure, I don't know. I don't know the cause of it. It's not there every day. But but a lot of people think they know that. And I yield to Paul Strilo, who says, I think that Grisham has gotten too much blame here. Because if you think about it, I can make an argument, right? First of all, it's fair. You agree the wide receiver play is not a good fair? Fair. Okay. Is that Jeff's fault? I can make that argument that Jeff missed on Ngata. He was a five-star, but everybody missed. I can make the argument that he missed on Latson. He was soft and didn't block and didn't develop. Is that because Jeff missed on those guys, or is that because Tyler Grisham didn't, didn't develop them? I don't know that. I'm not around that every day. I can also say this, that the best wide receivers on the team right now appear to me to be Williams and Randall and Cole Turner and younger guys that, that – Grisham recruited. I think that's fairly fair. And the other thing is that I'm pretty much convinced of is that when Alabama misses at running back of all places, they missed at running back and they had to go get Gibbs. They missed at wide receiver the last couple of classes and they had to go get Williams and, and had to go get Burton, some of those guys. What I'm truly convinced of is that it is terribly difficult to evaluate and so when I look up to Alabama like that's the end all, well, when they do it and they have issues at certain positions, the, the, the data says to me, the proof is me is maybe this isn't as easy as just looking at some rankings and going out and signing these great players. And that means they're all always, every single one of them going to be great. You know, Paul did a thing the other, a couple of years ago about the, the five-star quarterbacks. And it was something like half of the five-star quarterbacks in the last 10 or 12, well, how many years? He went back to half of them didn't turn out and half of them had transferred out. Half of them never really started, never did anything. So maybe it's terribly difficult to project and be right every single time. So I'll ask you, what's wrong with Clemson's wide receivers? What's your opinion of that? Well, I want to dig a little deeper on that. Um, you know, we're talking about, oh, is it Grisham's fault? Is it Jeff Scott's fault? I mean, if we, if we look back, to the recruitments of Ngata, Ladson, E.J. Williams. I'm thinking back. You had uh, Julian Fleming, who they were they were in on. You had 
Egbuka, who's now at Ohio State, who they were in on. I think they were also tried to be in on Marvin Harrison. It's not like they. Yeah, they, cho- they, it's, they it's not like they chose Ingata and Ladson and EJ over those guys. They tried. They couldn't. They they Our couldn't. At, at Ohio State, beat them on those guys. Yes. Yeah, they couldn't get in. They couldn't develop a enough of a, I guess, connection with them. So it's not. I mean, do you? Right. You go back and you. You say Jeff Scott screwed up because he couldn't cultivate a relationship that wasn't there. I, I don't know. Anyway, what what's wrong with I, you know? I, speaking of EJ, you know where, where I do sort of wonder about the development. I mean, as a freshman, EJ was was tough as nails, uh, mentally physically tough. Um, he was showing real promise of being in. You know that Justin Ross class, um, but then just where was the development? I don't know. I mean, maybe some personal stuff going on with I don't know about. Well, I um, know he had a personal situation back home in Alabama that required his attention back home. But now, certain. I mean, I, I can't tell you that uh, Marvin Harrison didn't either. I mean, some guys just have it and have this kind of things. I will say this. All right, so. With EJ Williams, um, that concussion deal that he had this year, I think was a major setback for him. And last year, remember, Angada had the core the core um, problem. I'm, I'm very good friends. One of my best friends is a longtime uh, NFL and national championship guy, guy who won national championships as a trainer. And he told me, he goes, look, man, y'all can say what you want to about, and Dabo can say what you want to about the guys being day-to-day. I'm just telling you, those two injuries that you're talking about are no joke. And so that leads me to this. I go back to this. Would Jeff Scott be so revered? And Jeff's a dear friend of mine and a great guy, and I think one of the best fighters series coaches I've ever been around. Awesome guy. But would he have been what he was if Sammy Watkins had the injuries that Ngata had? And that if Mike Williams, who did have the neck injury now, you know, remember this, Justin Ross, I mean, Grisham got the injured Justin Ross. He didn't get the healthy Justin Ross, right? Jeff Scott got the one-year healthy Justin Ross. Is it Grisham's fault that that Ross's neck had had neck issue? Because would Jeff Scott had looked as good if – Mike Williams would have continued to have that problem or have had the contusion issues or if Artavius Scott would have had knee issues, you know, the way that, that maybe Amari Rogers had through. Or T. Higgins would have been, if T. Higgins would have been a, a ACL guy, would we still be thinking, man, that Jeff, he's a great, he's doing great at wide receiver. Or we go, man, I kind of stink, but those guys been hurt. They didn't develop under Jeff. Is that fair? Yeah, and how much of this is the sort of the expectations have been set. Oh. The standard has been set by a total, totally otherworldly succession of elite receivers that just came one after another. Yeah. That doesn't happen. I mean, I don't even think, you know, that's, I guess you, you could compare Alabama's run from, I guess, uh, 17 to, to, to 21. But again, like you just mentioned, they missed there because Jamison Williams didn't even sign with Alabama. Just so like so for Alabama, like what happened to Alabama's wide receivers? That's a fair question. 
because like, when it was Judy and Ruggs and Waddle and Smith, that, and I criticized that group because I didn't think they had enough diversity. I think they needed one big guy. But but the thing, there was a, their, their little guys blocked too. I mean, you think about some of Najee Harris' runs where man, those guys were still blocking downfield. But but what happened then? So why did Alabama's wide receivers take a tremendous dip? Well, I mean, there's a lot of theories there, and there's a lot of a lot of things that happened there. But, but maybe it's just difficult to do it every single year and to find it, and they all turn out to be what you thought they're going to be. And even at Ohio State, because really when when Enjigba Smith got hurt slash opted out. And, and, and Buka's not been a guy that's been what they thought man thought he'd been. And Fleming's not been what they thought he'd be. Harrison's maybe a little better than they thought they were going to be. But those guys obviously miss hard once you reach a certain level like that. You know, even so for Clemson State, and that, that, by the way, that's with C.J. Stout and Bryce Young throwing the football to them. Is it fair to say that Ngata looked better the last two games with Kate Klubnick? I think he did. Yeah. Um, so, and, and is it fair to say that Cole Turner coming on? Like, I'm more encouraged by the wide receiver group now than I was going into Charlotte. So, could you say, and again, this, this point out, I think, could you say that the problem was a DJ problem rather than a wide receiver problem? You could say that because the two years with DJ, the wide receivers didn't look like they, they played very well. How much of that was DJ's ball that wasn't catchable or whatever? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. My point through all this, Larry, is like, for me, and, and I'm not, I hate to talk about my listeners and my textures and my, my phone calls or your, your message board guys, but if, if we think that we, I mean, and you, we speak in such definite terms, oh, this is what's wrong, I know this, and we need to fire this guy, I, I can't sit here and de- definitively tell you that that is right or wrong, because just as much as you could be right, you could know exactly what you're talking about here, but also, you could be wrong, and you know, call for a guy's livelihood that, that this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's terrible and they should do this, this, and this, and you're not in the building and you don't know. I don't know, man. That's, not, that's a dangerous, slippery road for me. And I'm not willing to go down that path because I'm just not there every day. And I can't pretend like I have to be right about everything and can tell you I know exactly what's wrong. I know the symptoms, but I don't know the cure. Would, would bringing Jeff Scott back at wide receiver, would that cure everything? If, if that was the case, then yeah, fire Tyler today and go hire Jeff and everything's fixed the same way the quarterback because you know on the message boards what I heard one of my text line was DJ's the problem DJ's the problem DJ's the problem well take him out put the other guy in there and Friday night it didn't look like that that was the end all cure for everything but but I was convinced that the message boards but they know for a fact this is the only thing wrong and everything fixed came to come in and be the magic potion. Well, it didn't work out Friday night. So I just don't, I think it's more complicated. The problem's more complicated, thus the solutions are more complicated. Yeah, it was in in the aftermath of the ACC championship and and then and then the Orange Bowl referring to Cade. You know, I think you're this is an example of people you know, very entrenched in their argument because it was, you know, when when Cade uh, made some mistakes and and showed probably why the coaches were hesitant to put him in earlier in the season because he was doing that stuff in practice. One hundred percent. So there was someone that that I know that goes to practice again two or three days a week, and I and I got this second hand. I got the first hand um, of. Hey man, 
you know, everybody wanting cake. Well, let me tell you, it ain't all, it ain't what you think it is in practice. So I got this, the second part secondhand, but when Cade made a few mistakes that he made, and I thought he played good, and I thought I thought there were a lot of great things that he did during the game, but obviously there were some inexperienced things that he did, flushing the pocket and decisions and things like this, right? Well, that person made a statement to another friend of mine that, hey, remember I kept telling you all year long that, that there were issues and the inexperience and something, and that's what you're seeing now. So in a way that the much maligned, criticized staff was wrong by playing DJ as long as they did, what, what their point was, I think, was proven Friday night in that, man, there are still some issues that are going to be there. Now, so you could say this. Inexperience was definitely a problem with Kate Friday night, right? That's fair. Yeah. So you could say, well, they should have played him earlier in the season. And, and, and you'd be right. If they played him earlier in the season, they might have beaten Tennessee Friday night. He might have been more experienced and might have made – you know the right the right reads and the right place to some of this, but on the other side, would you beat Wake Forest? Would he have gone for five touchdowns and four hundred yards, or whatever it was, to beat Wake Forest? Or would you beat NC State? Would I don't know, I don't know those things. But boy, we were convinced that uh, you know that uh, that was the one issue and everything's we fixed. I, again, I, just just throw it all. Again, I, I, it's occupational suicide to talk bad about your readers or your listeners. I, I just think that for some reason, and this is at Ohio State and Michigan and Clemson and Alabama and. Georgia, North Carolina. That's my point. Is like I don't know, man. To me, to sit here and tell you, I know for sure what's wrong and how to fix it. I think we're giving ourselves way too much credit. It, this is this game is so much more complicated, and they're human beings. And you know, on the Bill on the Bill Spires thing, Quackenbush was getting ripped yesterday. William Quackenbush, who does our twelve to three show on Twitter about nepotism in the staff and about how Bill needs to do this. And so I, I, I tweeted out that I thought Bill Spires who his title is special teams coordinator, special teams coach, whatever. I thought Bill Spires did a great job with BT Potter when he set the Clemson career record for field goals and that he had Potter kick it over the crossbar in between the uprights. And then Friday night, he lost his mind because he didn't kick it over the crossbar in between the, the uprights three times. So obviously Bill Spires is a terrible special teams coach Friday night but did a pretty good job with, with Potter on the previous four years. You know, it's like when the ball goes in the hoop in basketball, you look like a really smart guy. When it doesn't go in the hoop, like, man, I don't know. We don't look too good. I don't know if I'm talking about a coach, you know? Yeah. Um, it's easy. It, 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 I, 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 again, I don't know. I'm going to come up with a better way of saying it, but we, sl- we sling the blame hammer and and hit some nails, but are they the right nails? I mean, are we, are we, uh, are we properly – assigning the right blame to the right guys? I don't know. I, I know that it's, it's not what it used to be. My theory is that I don't think Clemson's as talented. I don't think they've recruited as well. I don't see a room of Christian Wilkins's and and Dexter Lawrence's, and I don't see um, you know Sammy Watkins, and I don't see Travis Etienne's. Now, with that said, the defensive line didn't play as good this year. And here, here's a perplexing thing for, for Clemson football right now. Like Nick Easton is very popular, rightfully so. He's recruited great. But he also inherited a pretty healthy group of defensive tackles this year. And, Larry, did you think their defensive line played great this year? No. All right, on the other side of it, on your message boards, on my text messages, C.J. Spiller, a very popular player, is ripped because of recruiting. But can you at least make an argument that maybe Shipley and Maffa might have been the best position unit on the field this year? I can do that. Like, Would you agree with that, that you can make an argument that the running backs played well this season? Absolutely. So, you see what I'm saying? Like, 
maybe CJ is not a great recruiter. Maybe he's a good coach, or maybe maybe he's a great recruiter, not a good coach. I don't know because I'm not in that building seventy or eighty hours a week like those guys. And even if I was, I've been doing this for a long time, but I still don't know the complicated things that go on with all that. You know, the human beings and what their girlfriends are doing, and who's pregnant and who's got ACLs. Yeah, I'll tell you, like Friday night, I was told, and I don't know if you're told as well that. Uh, you know, when Walker Parks had as an ankle issue, I think, and had to miss a game, I was told that he wasn't 100 percent going in, and that McFadden obviously had had struggled. Well, and, and, and in Mays, I mean, um, there's a big different drop off in Tate Mays. So three of your five offensive linemen, I didn't think looked very good Friday night. Well, just how hurt are they? So you can say, man, they're terrible. Well, are are they hurt? I mean, McCuba looked like he couldn't cover anybody in the game. Well, how hurt is he? Because he's been banged up throughout the year. So, you know, I, we're not privy to that, that information anymore, right? No, Dabo's not, not, I mean, no, no coach tells you who's hurt and who's not hurt anymore, right? So just how hurt were they? So we're going to judge them on that? I don't know. See, any of that makes sense? Any of that fair? It, it does. But is it also fair to say there are things that out in the open – that we can fairly judge. Um, one of them, the, the chief among them being the, in the three losses this year, uh, the offensive game plan slash personnel usage slash play calling, man, head scratching at best, uh, I think. Is that fair? Yes. I thought one of my biggest um, criticisms of Friday night was. I didn't think that the empty sets worked because Cade was not experienced enough. When you go empty, Tennessee's response was that we're going to send an extra attack and we're going to try to affect the quarterback. Well, the quarterback then has to get rid of the ball really on time. And I didn't think Cade's experience allowed that. I thought they made a tactical mistake when they went empty as much as they did. And because I thought on the, they, they match protected pretty early and got a couple pass interference calls. So I think in hindsight, I'd like to see a little more max protect out of that. Obviously, you like to have more run game. With that said, it appears to me in the ACC championship game, and especially in the first half of this game, that in the RPO game that Klubnik's going to pull it back and he sees pass first. It's almost like a PRO rather than RPO. You know, that that he's going to see pass first. He's going to be aggressive and try to get the ball down the field. And it takes the ball out of Shipley's hands. It takes the ball out of so out of my, uh, my office hands. So maybe call more design run plays first. I thought the zone read game looked pretty good. Um, but obviously, Cade keeps it a lot there, too. So he had 20 rushes, I think, in the game, and more so than 17 maybe for Shipley. But now, uh, to your point about the losses, one thing that is very clear for me from 15 through 20, that except for the Pittsburgh loss, and the Syracuse loss, and that was due to injury, I felt like, that Kelly Bryant would have been healthy if Clemson would have beat Syracuse. But except for those losses, pretty much Clemson's losses were two elite teams. And Georgia turned out to be elite last year, but I didn't think Pittsburgh was elite last year, and I didn't think NC State was elite last year. And this year, you might feel differently, but I didn't think that Notre Dame, nor South Carolina, nor that team that they faced, the Tennessee team that they faced without their, their opt-outs, I didn't think that was an elite team. And so that, that'd be something that would open my eyes is that now you're getting beat by non-elite teams where I can, you know what, the, the 20, the 19 team, whatever that lost to, to uh, LSU, man, zip your hat to them. That's an elite team. Or to lose to Alabama or to lose to an Ohio State, man, you know what? You tip your hat. That's elite. 
But I don't think that Pittsburgh and NC State, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Tennessee this year, I don't think they're elite. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-350. Zero seven. There's also the margin, you know, very narrow margin between a win and a loss. You know that 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 2019 team was fortunate to win at North Carolina. I don't know what that North Carolina team finished, but they weren't that good. No. Um, the NC State, the NC State uh, game in 16 missed. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, so there were some hairy episodes, but it's like I think to your point, it's becoming more of a trend and what I don't understand where I think it's fair game to criticize is when when you come out of the Notre Dame game and it's pretty clear that they were kind of spooked by the the wind after watching the Ohio State Northwestern game that day and so they adjusted some of their some of their tactics and but anyway coming out of that game Dabo says yeah probably should have run Shipley more you know coming out of the South Carolina game, yep, probably should have run Shipley more in the fourth quarter. And then again, uh, this this time, after the Orange Bowl, Brandon Streeter, halftime, yeah, at, we highlighted that at halftime and said we need to get, definitely need to get Shipley the ball more. I, I don't know. I, that is where, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that's why you fire Brandon Streeter. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that is where, that's where there's less mystery, less complications, at least my opinion, when it's out there in the open and you're talking about wins and losses, producing or not, scoring or not, um, and losing to fairly mediocre teams or not. Yeah. Uh, now, as a counterpoint, um, I think when Clemson, in the, in the games that they played with Notre Dame, and the success that they had with Notre Dame in, the, in times of beating Notre Dame, I think that they just had better athletes and on the perimeter and they threw the ball more and had more success there. And Notre Dame appeared to be better against the run than they did the pass. And I know that Tennessee, one stat I didn't know was pointed out to me is that Tennessee was third in the country in red zone defense. That's what they've been doing all year. But I do know that teams did not run the ball. I think they gave it 115 a game 
on the ground and that they were much better against the run than they were there. So you can make that argument. However, South Carolina, you can't make that argument because South Carolina was terrible against the run and Clemson did not run the ball enough against South Carolina. But, you know, all that's in hindsight. But, I, yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, Shipley and Moffa, I, I put Clint Moffa in that too, that you got to run both of those guys more because those are your – with DJ at quarterback now, to me, that negates Williams a little bit, Brittany Stool and Davis a little bit, and Bo Collins a little bit, and those guys. So, to me, your two best football players are, are Shipley and Moffa and your best offensive coordinators – are going to get the ball in their hands more often. So, yes, uh, it's pretty obvious you need to run the ball more there for sure. It's almost like they spent a month preparing for the Orange Bowl and were so enchanted with the matchups on the outside because Tennessee's coverage isn't very good, as it was shown in that game with all the pass interference penalties, that they just got locked into that and then combined that with – Cade pulling on some of the option stuff, and that's how you get three carries for Shipley. But that's something that just can't happen. I mean, and maybe there's the, maybe part of the story there is the drain of support staff in, in the last two or three years. I mean, that's been significant. They've lost some important the guys they haven't promoted to full time coaches have gone elsewhere. Um, you know, so like what. I want to talk about that because that's something we can get into because that's been a that's been a criticism. But let me say this: um, again, I, I'm, I'm undefeated as a football coach. Now I'm also hadn't won a game because I've never coached in one. But this philosophically thinking, the, the the thing I'm going to do on defense is I'm going to stop the run. We're going to sell out to stop the run because we want to make you one dimensional. But also on the same by the same token on offense, if it's me now. On offense, I'm going to make you prove that you can stop the run because I'm not going to stop it myself. One way teams get the run stopped is they stop themselves by not committing to the run. So we're going to commit and overcommit and commit again to the run. And to your point, with South Carolina and with Tennessee in the first half especially, that was not the case. Now, just playing devil's advocate here. You, got, you ran 101 plays and you had 34 first downs and you had 484 yards of offense. So the, the problem wasn't, you know, until you got in the red zone, but should you run it more down there then? Maybe. Maybe the, maybe the, the, the cure was running the ball more in the red zone, maybe. Um, I do think that one thing that Clemson's offense for two consecutive years now – oh, by the way, let's give Tyler Grisham some credit for – Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers did pretty doggone good in that one year. Now, it was the number one draft pick throwing it to them. But uh, I thought the wide receivers looked pretty good in, in Tyler's first year. But with that said, I think it's pretty clear that what hurt Clemson the last two seasons is the lack of explosiveness. Because in the prime, and again, it was DJ throwing it to them, and it was, I don't think that Kelly Bryant's year they had the explosiveness. There was some, but not, not a lot there. But but with Trevor and with with Deshaun, man, Mike Williams made huge plays, and Artavis Scott made huge plays, and Jordan Leggett, and and then you go to T. Higgins and Justin Ross and and Romari, like man, there were just some huge plays. And you think about the last two years, I can't remember a lot of big time explosive plays, and it might have been ETN in the run game or the screen game or the draw game. But man, you go back and watch some of the old highlights, and they're 50 and 60 and 70 yard touchdowns 
and I think that was evident. If you run 60 plays or whatever the number was Friday night inside the opponent's territory, well, a, that means you're not hitting on big plays to get down there. But B, you don't, you don't, they don't have that threat when you get down there either. And uh, but now, now, also to be fair, Larry, if, if this the offense did one great thing this year, including Klubnik in Charlotte, because Klubnik in Charlotte went four for four for touchdowns in the red zone. This Clemson's offense this year was one of the best offenses in the country in the red zone. And then Friday night, like, how can you account for that? I mean, much like Potter. I mean, Potter was one of the best kickers in the country, and then he misses three straight field goals. So a little bit of that is just like, I I can't explain Clemson's red zone. Because, like I said, for 13 games, it was good. And then Friday night, it wasn't. So why? What happened Friday night? I don't know. Yeah, I guess what you're saying is like, with Notre Dame, no mystery. I mean, you just got bulldozed. South Carolina, no real mystery because you couldn't hold on to the ball. Um, but in this game, statistically, just a lot of uh, a lot of anomalies. I guess. Yeah, and, and, but and now going back to like South Carolina game, you know, this team for the most part in the Dabo Sweeney era. The offense has been out there. Sean did put it at, at, at risk. Sean did throw some picks. But for the most part, over the last 10 years, Clemson has not turned the ball over a whole lot on offense. Now, this year, in the last half of the season, I think it was 15 turnovers last five games, in the regular season, last five games. When you would say, man, that's terrible, but we were playing the staff here because the guys that were turning it over, Chipley fumbled several times. Antonio Williams in the in the South Carolina game, uh, Maffa in the South Carolina game. I mean, these are very popular players that that the fans love that were just turning the ball over, dropping the ball. Maffa just dropped. Nobody hit him. Just dropped the ball against South Carolina. You know, it's like, and sometimes you know those things just even out through the years. But that's another thing that's like inexplicable for because for twelve or thirteen years, Clemson didn't turn it over. In the last half of this season, 15 turnovers last five games. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? I don't know. How does, how does Potter miss field goals? I don't – I'd love to hear and tell you that I, I know what happened to Potter's field goals, but I don't know. And then red zone, again, what in the world happened Friday night? You mentioned Deshaun uh, throwing picks. They were just so good that it didn't matter in the end. They were – in in. In 15, they were minus two in turnover margin. 16, minus one. Plus four in 2017, plus seven in 2018, plus 15 in 2019, plus eight in 2020, uh, minus one this year. And they're not just not good enough to no, over, overcome that. You know, and that's the thing, too. Like, I mentioned before, we talked about this on, on your podcast. It's like I made the statement that Alabama and Clemson in their prime, their special teams didn't matter because they were so good. They could shank punts and they could give up punt returns and block punts. But it didn't matter because they were just so much better. Like, extra point, you could miss every extra point and every field goal, and both teams still would have been undefeated in 2018. But now they're not. They're not elite enough to turn the ball over 15 times the last five regular season games. They're not. Deshaun could do it, but this team does not have enough playmakers to play your C-minus game and still win. And the Notre Dame, they played the C-minus game. And the South Carolina played the C-minus game. And Friday night, they played their C-minus game. Whereas those other Deshaun's teams and Trevor's teams were so good that they still would have won those games despite not playing their best. And that's how you make I mean, the seasons are so long now. 
And, you know, like we talked about with McFadden and Parks and Tate. Well, Deshaun had the same injuries too. Maybe not as many, but Terrell had those injuries too. But they were so stinking good that they overcame all of those over a 15-game season where this team just is not good enough to do those things. So it comes back to this, Larry, in the end. I just don't think they're as talented as they were. Yeah, now, definitely. Now, to, but to that point, again, I, people accuse me of Tommy about what I say about Alabama. You know, my father's team also lost, and Joe Paterno's team also lost. But <laughs> to me, Alabama is the real issue here because Alabama is the best recruiting team in the country than in Georgia. And, and oh, by the way, Georgia's is coming. I mean, Georgia's going to find out too. I think what it really tells you is it's not the culture, it's not Davos, nepotism, it's not, not hiring. I mean, all those can be factors. First of all, it, Saban's had tons of turnover, and every time you uh, someone leaves or you fire somebody, there's a chance that the next hire might not be as good or might be bad. So, and the same thing with quarterbacks, same thing with wide receivers. You know, the next guy might not be as good as we thought. And obviously, DJ was not as good as we thought. And if you put if you put Deshaun or Trevor in the last two years, I think you're talking about two playoff teams and two teams that might have a chance of national championship. Who knows? But that said, though, I think what we learned from Alabama, because those, those stats you read about Clemson in the last, I mean, the uh, the thought about the six losses the last two years, Alabama's had the same thing. Like, And that's at Alabama. So my point through all that is, I think it's just difficult to stay on top. And right now, Georgia's making it look pretty easy. Their schedule next year makes it look even easier. But, you know, Tulane went 2-10 and 10 last year, now they're 12-2. You know, TCU, this is the first year of Sonny Dykes. They, TCU had to had to make a coaching change. And they brought in the guy who, oh, by the way, was fired at Cal. I mean, Cal fired Sonny Dykes because he didn't win enough football games. And now he looks like he's a genius. And my point of saying all that is that it's extremely difficult to not misevaluate or to not develop or to make a bad coordinator hire or to make a – to stay healthy – and when you're the when you got the bulls on your back, like and to stay motivated and to stay humbled and the I mean to make all these decisions all day every day, it's it's not easy. And it can make you look like you've lost it. When all actuality you're probably doing I had a had a, another coach tell me that last year might have been Dabo's best coaching job. You know? And didn't look like that team didn't look like the two thousand and eighteen team. But they might have done a better coaching job then. Who knows? But just, I, my point is, it's, it's, it's hard, man. It is so hard to do, and the standards are so high that in the end now, if Clemson doesn't beat Ohio, if they don't end their season by beating Georgia, Ohio State, or Alabama, like it's not a good season anymore. So Dabo's sort of the way he evaluates quarterback, like when, when a, there's a quarterback competition or any competition, I guess, is the veteran gets the benefit of the doubt. The freshman, the inexperienced guy, has to go above and beyond, has to make it a slam dunk to be the guy. Is it fair to ask if he should have the same sort of criteria? If he's putting himself out there and 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 making these hires that are unconventional, you know, promoting inexperienced coaches, is it fair to say the same should apply? There in evaluating them, sure. Uh, well, that's fair, very fair. Because what one of the things I, I think you and I talked about, at least on my radio show last year, was that 
the Wes Goodwin hire, man, that's an unconventional hire. No doubt about it. But the proof will be in the pudding. Whether Dabo is right or Dabo is wrong, we will know that. And I, and, and I think you and I had this attitude last year. We might not know it. We had so many returning starters anyway, so much experience anyway, that, that this day the year we really tell it. And so my thing was, okay, how's he going to recruit? And how's he going to adjust? And what's it going to look like two or three years down the road if he last, you know, I don't know if you get people get two or three years now, but, but no, that's very fair. And in the end, the proof will be in the pudding. Was it a good hire or not? Um, I mean, you mentioned all the returning starters this year. I mean, they did not, they were not great. No, that was not a great defense this year. As a matter of fact, and I, I, I said this on the radio show today, if you could say wave your magic wand, but you could only get one wish for each side of the ball, my thing would be I, I would just like to see more toughness, mental and physical toughness, because I thought Clemson looked pretty doggone soft this year. Yes. And that's surprising because of the number of veterans that they had. And I think that is a mentality. And maybe, and, and this might not be fair, but maybe you can make an argument that Brent Venables would not have put up with softness. And in a more mild manner, you take your, you know, some, some people will argue that you, your per, the personality takes on his coach. And that maybe Wes is a little more softer spoken and doesn't demand what, what Venables would have demanded. Is that fair? I don't know because I'm not there every day. But I can listen to that argument. I can listen to a lot of arguments, by the way. I don't, I'm not sure what's right or wrong, but I can make that, listen to that argument. And I don't, I'm not sure you'd be wrong at this point in time. I, the bottom line is that the symptom was I thought they looked pretty soft. It appears like you, you agree with that? Oh, yeah. From the beginning. Um, the Georgia Tech game, I remember the missed tackles, the lack, the point of attack sort of softness from the, at the – Mainly the DBs. It was it was jarring, yeah. and it and it, it went it went all the way to the last game. You know, Makuba getting trucked again. We don't know his injury situation. Uh, then was it Small who just plowed Trotter? Yeah. Wow. And I, and I, and I don't think Trotter is the issue, but like so, the trend now is for people to say, well, I want smaller wide receivers, right? Smaller, quicker, oh, oh, quickness of wide receiver. That's fine. But you also got to have a physical guy there, too, too. And, and the same thing at cornerback, because everybody says, man, like a Sheridan Jones. I knew Clemson was in trouble when I found out Sheridan Jones was going to be there because pride is so, uh, so young and so inexperienced. And they need his physical presence over there because on the other side, as good as Nate Wiggins is, I mean, I'm going to say something bad about a guy that just had a 98-yard, I mean, a pick six and and block kick and, man, all great. But I'm going to tell you right now, Nate Wiggins has to become more physical and a better tackler in open space and on those screen plays. And he's got to blow up more. He's got to get bigger and stronger. And and so for all the talk about, you know, the things that you, you want to have, there, you can't lose the physical part of it. And I, I love it best at Shanahan from, from the 49ers. Who said you and I talked about this before? Too, who said that the the tone for the physical part of his football team starts at wide receiver, and you better be able to stalk somebody and bust their butt over there in your blocking at wide receiver because it starts from the outside and goes in. Is what he says about his team, and I, I love that deal there. And I think that you got to have some mental toughness and some physical toughness in the secondary and at wide receiver moving forward. 
a year ago, our conversation, exiting the cheese bowl, our cheese it bowl, was about the impressive physical toughness of Clemson's <laughs> cornerbacks. They had Andrew Booth and Mario Goodrich. Yes. That wasn't that wasn't Brent Venables making the cornerbacks tougher and more relentless during that season. That was more a product of Andrew Booth and Mario Goodrich. Yes. So it's an up and down kind of thing, right? Sure. Like a yo-yo. And, and with, but with every with every turnover that you have in, in a position or a coach or an athletic director or a president or an AD or, or, or a board of trustee members or whatever, through all those levels, you're never guaranteed what you're going to get next and what the strengths and weaknesses are, are next. I would say that you can make a case that Wiggins is a better cover guy than Goodrich. You can make that case. But you can also make a case that, A, that Goodrich is much more dependable and reliable, and you could also make very easily make the case that he's a much better tackler, much more physical. So, you know, and, and whoever the next guy, we love saying like the next guy is going to be the guy, right? Oh, well, you can't wait to see the next guy. Well, yeah, but also the next guy's got some issues, and you got to overcome those somehow. So, I, I just like to see a tougher mentality. I'd like to see a more physical, you know what? And even a buddy of mine talked about this today, you know. Tennessee's attitude on defense. They weren't very good on defense. But and I don't want to see guys stand over you and talk trash after getting beat deep like some of their cornerbacks did. But, you know, a little bit of SEC mentality of, man, we're going to bring some toughness to this thing now. We're going to bring a little bit of an edge to us. And I felt like for the longest time, Clemson had that edge. But I don't think that is the case now. And I could be wrong. I mean, I, maybe they still do. But I don't think that they have that edge now. At least it doesn't appear that way. But you know what? There's really there's one team out there that has the ideal physical and mental edge, and that is Georgia. Because Alabama didn't have it this year. This year, they they couldn't get a stop to save their lives in a number of games. Ohio State is not far removed from giving up what five plays of sixty yards or more against Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's hard harder now probably with with the just with the landscape of the more transactional nature of, of, of things to truly to get true buy-in. Um, I hope I'm not sounding like a grumpy old man when I say that, but it feels true. No, and and the, the team you're talking about is Georgia. Yeah. But, mark my words, Larry, Georgia will have their issues at some point in time. They're, they're riding high right now, and, man, he's got an edge to him, and, and he coaches with that, and and they're playing with that, and I get it, man. And they're, and yeah, they're on top right now. But but complacency or injuries or misevaluations or lack of development or coaches leaving and the next guy you hire, it's coming for Georgia too because it came to Bear Bryant, it came to Joe Paterno, it came to Bobby Bowden, it came to you know, it came to everybody, it came to Danny Ford, it came to Dabo Swinney and Nick Saban. I mean, you, you, you're right. You watch Alabama play now. And it looks like a, a nub of itself in so many ways from what it was three years ago, two years ago. And they, they look like there's weaknesses there. And in the end, too, I think that's where the transfer portal helps you and hurts you. NIL helps you and hurts you. And the athlete that you're talking about now, it, it helps you and hurts you. But the idea that you – I mean, how do you keep a roster now and, and how do you develop now and – 
and how do you depend on now and, and how do you have depth now? I mean, there's a lot in there. And I think the job is tougher now than, than ever before. Oh, there's no doubt. There's a reason you have more coaches than in the past who are saying, you know what, I'm going to take a year off or just give it up altogether. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, Heidi and, and your two daughters would, 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 let me see, I got I got $15 million in the bank, and we can ship Dad off to go do this, and he'd been gone 80 hours a week, and for we won't see him for 10 months a year. Or Dad can stay home, and we can enjoy Dad a little bit. That's what, Jeff, that's what Jeff Scott's doing. Absolutely. Now, you mean he's not running, uh, he's not going to be the coordinator tomorrow? And not. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm sure you've gotten you've been besieged with text as well over the last few weeks. I just saw Uh-oh. I just saw Jeff Scott at Lowe's. Oh yeah, I heard he enrolled his kids at his daughter at Clemson Elementary. Yes, yes, oh, yeah. he, he's yeah. moving back home. Yes, that's what he's doing. Yes, that doesn't mean he's he's in the football offices. I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Now, what that means too with Jeff is that uh, can you see him having a role over there at a certain point in time? Sure. Yeah. Can you see him even having a little itch to get back into a little bigger role at some point in time? That might be the case, too. But the same guy that's on your message board is texting me, I know for a fact this is happening right now. Eh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But I joke, Morgan Thomas is my, my Thursday producer, and he talks, he does these passing charts, he does the recruiting, stuff like this, and he'll ask the question sometimes about why this happened that way, why this happened. And I was like, well, here's the thing, bud. This is your hobby, like, <laughs> this isn't Dabo Sweeney's hobby. You know, this is uh, Tuscaloosa Tiger or Tallahassee Tiger or, or Rocky Hill Tiger. This is their hobby, man. And, and so <laughs> we can think we we know what's going to happen or why things happen. And in the end, we, you know, this is not your nice hobby, but we don't, we don't, this is not our expertise. We don't know these things. It's hard to admit that, and, and I, it's hard to get people to subscribe to Tiger Illustrated when people think that Larry Williams knows everything about everything and, and they're right about a lot of stuff. But man, it's it's just so difficult to predict what human beings are going to do and how they're going to react, and to have this end-all attitude that, oh, I know this is why, and I know this is the reason, I know this is going to happen this way. No, you don't, because this is your hobby, dude. You don't want to hear it, <laughs> but this is your hobby. Yeah, if he is back in Clemson, if he's enrolled his daughter at Clemson Elementary, that must mean. He's going to be back on the staff. And they're going to fire somebody and demote somebody out of their job. And now that family has to hear it from Larry Williams at Paul Streeler or Mickey Potter. That's what's going to happen to us. So I don't I, You know, that's a, that's a pretty slippery slope through all that. But no, you know, what, you, what you've been writing, reporting, I feel 100% confident in is 100% right. Yeah, and I, my feeling is just what he's told others as well. And that is, yeah. he's, he's planning on taking the year off. I think he's. I think he's genuine in that and genuinely desirous of being with his family and taking advantage of of the financial situation he's in to be a dad, to take his you know, take his girl to school and So so like on Kirby, like right now, one of the things about Saban always was and I joke with, with um because I, I know some guys have coached with him, especially Burke Burns are so close with who all those years I say, man, like, it's tough, right, coaching for him. You know, you heard Lane Kiffin talk about it, like, just how hard it is to coach for him. One of my greatest interviews I've ever heard was 
Dan Patrick interviewing Lane Kiffin about this is after a, the Tampa Clemson win or the or the San, uh, San Jose Clemson win. And he goes, what's it like? And he goes, it's miserable there today. And he's going to rip everybody at eight o'clock meetings, and it's going to be bad, right? And so, so he, he, uh, Dan Patrick makes a statement. Well, I guess it's just how you have to be. And Lane Kiffin goes, no, you don't have to. I coach with, with we won cha- national championships with Pete Carroll, and it was fun. But he, he said. He said, in two years I was at Alabama, I was there for 29 games. I had 29 good days, and every other day was miserable. Well, like the Kirby, Kirby is, is Nick Saban. Like, that's, he's little Nicky. Well, the bottom line is, like, how long can you do that? How long can you be demand that? And how long can you keep guys around demanding that all day, every day? That's tough to do, man. I don't know. Nick Saban's, uh, how old is he? <laughs> yeah, but... You, we just got through saying it. They aren't what they used to be. Yeah. Right? Now, why? Is that because Saban is softened? I don't know. I'm not close enough to their situation to know. But they aren't. Uh, playing Alabama now is not like it was playing Alabama just a few, just just two seasons ago. So it's tough, is my point. And, and, man, we aren't made to do that for that long. And that, I had, had friends of mine that were stockbrokers. Uh, that they were the guys that are on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. They're the guys that are yelling and screaming and have those, those papers, you know, that they're all yelling about. And I'm like, those guys are 25 and 26 and 28, 29 years old. And, like, you don't see 40-year-old guys down there doing that. You don't talk about the the, uh, the guys that yeah. are actually on Wall Street. Well, well, why? Because you can't do that, man. Like, your body can't do that. Your mind can't do that. And saving is the best they've ever, you know, has ever been at I, I, I don't like my Krzyzewski, but you give credit to have that sort of intensity for that long is tough. But you also know that, like, Coach K had to reinvent himself a few times. And the Saban looks like right now he's kind of had to reinvent himself a little bit. And, and then that will happen to Kirby. It's going to happen to Dabo. you got to find a different way to, to, to stay a little bit true to your values of who you are, but also kind of reinvent yourself a little bit. Um, and we'll see if Dabo does it. You know, there's a... Uh, you know, I said forever on our radio show was that, man, enjoy these times. This is in 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. It's like, better enjoy these now because these don't last forever. And I'll ask you, can Clemson become a lead again? Before I answer that, I have to say, during that time in 18, 19, it, 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 here's the, the part right now that's hard for people. At that time, it felt like it was going to last forever. Because you didn't see... Go ahead. I never got the sense it was going to last forever because... Well, not forever, but, you know, I mean, they were just getting... It felt like they were just getting started after you after well, you bulldozed Alabama in, in California. Yes, I'll say this. Like, so, and, and just reviewing that a little bit. We were talking 45-0, and 0, Mickey, remember? Oh, 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 I know that. But even then, once Trevor left, I mean, you got to replace them again. So so you and I talked about this before, that the this 18 game felt different because the 16 game, after losing in 15, the 16 national championship felt like the end and, like, you climbed the mountain, whereas the 18 game felt like the beginning. Right. And yeah, was Trevor going to win two? Was Trevor going to win three? Was he going to win two Heisman trophies? You know all that stuff. Now, pre NIL, pre transfer portal, and you didn't know that Joe Burrow would come lead the greatest offense in college football history. In hindsight, I think I learned this 
in 81, 82, 83, I mean, Clemson was so stinking good there. Like, so, like, as a kid, I felt like, oh, this is going to happen every year. And then once, you know, the 90s guy, he was like, uh, no, to be honest with you, that's kind of hard. And there's a reason why, now, now Georgia's going to win Monday night, I think, and they'll win back-to-back. But there's a reason why you don't go back-to-back in Super Bowls and World Series and NBA titles and Masters and U.S. Opens and all. Like, it's it's hard, man. And the human mind's hard to do all that. But, but yeah, you're right. We felt like 45 and 0, but I felt that that was because of Trevor. And that's how much confidence I had in him. I um, think, just to answer your question, I don't know about the elite thing, just because the – foundation has changed so much for recruiting and we're headed to pay for play and all that stuff like how many of the superstars Clemson had over the last decade would have landed at Clemson in the I don't even like saying NIL anymore I just say pay for play now in the pay for play world I don't know maybe there would have been quite a few I think who would not have ended up here under those parameters so I don't know thing I'll say to that is I'm not sure Clemson have a run like they had but I put enough faith in Dabo Sweeney and maybe Dabo gets out I mean part of me says why even if he's so anti what's going on now today anyway why'd he get out now again I think he's gonna stay because I think he loves affecting young people and loves like like truly shaping men like that's how he keeps score you and I keep score with championships and bowls, and, and he keeps score with, am I developing young men? And that's, I mean, in the end, he's right, we're wrong. But a bunch of us are wrong because that's how a bunch of us keep score. But with that said, the overwhelming of all the attributes that he has, I've said this too many times now, but all the attributes he has, the one thing that I know he is, he is so ultra-competitive that this whole like Friday night that the plane flight back or wherever he is now and what he's going to go through and those I mean the guy he hates to lose and I just my my gut is that he does what he has to do makes decisions he has to make to fix it and then and then to along with that to have the EQ the emotional intelligence to fix it because I'll ask you this question while I asked on the radio show today I can point out 10 things over the past 15 years that were wrong with Clemson football that he fixed all 10 of them. Uh, the, the, the place kicking situation, the short yardage situation, the, 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 the talent at wide receiver. You got to remember it was the Clear Brothers and Marquand Jones at one point. He fixed it. Remember he had the place bad, couldn't make an extra point. He fixed it. Uh, the, I think the offensive line got fixed, but, but, and there's some times there when Clemson's had a pretty good offensive line. My point is, like, of the things, the defense under under Kevin Steele or the identity of the offense pre-Chad Morris, like, there's some things in there that every single time he has fixed. And so the hope for me is, at least, and my job making it more fun, is that the, his competitive drive and his knack for the emotional intelligence for fixing what, what the ills are is that he can get back to some degree of what he had. But I'm not convinced of that. Because of just because of, not, not because of him, but because of everything else that went on in, in the sports world. Good points, man. I have kept oh. you for way too long. Well, I always enjoy it. 
I love listening, reading, and learning, and, and um, uh, honored, humbled that you'd ever been asked. Always, always a great conversation with you, man. I appreciate you. Uh, no doubt. Appreciate you sharing your time with us. Well, no doubt about it, man. Hey, um, keep up the great work, and let's do it again. Come on the radio show soon, I hope. Absolutely. And, uh, and let's figure all this stuff out. All right, we didn't solve anything. Uh, we didn't. I don't think we really answered anything definitively. That's impossible to do. But it was a that's a fun conversation. Um, a lot of layers to what's going on right now, and um, hopefully, hearing some different viewpoints perhaps uh, help your understanding of, of a bunch of this stuff that's going on right now. Really enjoyed it. Great stuff. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And of course, thanks to every one of you for being such loyal listeners. Really appreciate it. Be back next week. Cheers.